How can artists actually use these underlying principles of startup creation to create viable revenue models for their art and creativity? Welcome to Airdrop, the show that'll help you understand what NFTs are, how they work, how to use them, and all that good stuff. I'm Rallyon, and I'm here with the great and powerful Phosphorus, and today we are talking to Grace Ng. Grace is an artist and entrepreneur, and at this point in her life, it's kind of hard to differentiate between her artist life and her entrepreneurial life. But it wasn't always like this. Grace worked as a developer and designer for her startup in the early days of Web 2, before Instagram and all that happened. Now in Web 3, she has found a way to merge her developer, designer, and artistic self all into one big awesome thing. Today we're going to dive into the Grace Ng origin story, her work with Crash Punks, and lastly we're going to talk about how artists can find product market fit for their art in Web 3. And some other stuff too. If you like helping people out for free, you can do that by rating and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to stay up to date with all the new projects we're looking at, you can follow Airdrop on Twitter at The Airdrop Show. All right, let's drop in. All right, today we've got Grace Ng on the show. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, we're going to get started with the question we ask everyone, which is, can you explain what an NFT is in the simplest possible way, right? Like if you were explaining it to your mom and she's like, what are you talking about? How would you explain it to someone who has just no context? Sure. Uh, So NFT is a a unique reference to a digital good, digital asset or a physical asset. And so traditionally, especially with digital assets like digital media, art, music, that can be duplicated and it's all the same. But what NFTs do is it makes it unique and there's like a proof of ownership so that any individual who mints it or buys it can actually prove that that is the only one and that they own it. Well, that was concise and a great answer. <laughs> you can tell she's done this a couple times. Right. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I do think, yeah, there's something there about owning something digitally because as so many of our forms are moving into the digital space, right, with use of computers and iPads and 3D modeling and like all this other stuff, it's hard for digital artists to kind of sell their art without making a big print. But with NFTs, you can you can do that. You can buy the digital art. Yeah, yeah. So what this enables a lot of digital artists to do is be able to have unique assets, uh, even if they mint a digital art piece that previously was, you know, people could copy and paste it, people can repost it on social media, and there's no way to track any of that, or track it back to the original artist. But I think with NFTs, I think it really helps digital artists in that way, especially, you know, moving forwards towards the future where we can see maybe like AI influencing digital art creation. And I hope that AI and blockchain could all tie together so that art can be a unique asset that people can still enjoy and buy. You're such a futurist in the way you think about things. Already you're thinking how artificial intelligence can be working with the blockchain and how it can work together. And we'll we'll get to all that. I do think 
you are a great person to talk about this with. But I want to go back to the beginning. So I don't know where to start first. So maybe you can help me here. Do we, do we want to start first with your history with startups and lean startup machine or your work as an artist? Which came first? Which kind of leads the way here? Mm. Well, I'm first and foremost an artist. I've been an artist since I was a little kid, like as long as I can remember. So we can start there. All right. Yeah. Let's start there. Let's, let's start back. Little Grace doing art. What was that like? Well... I don't know. I was probably like three or four. I think my, my mom says that she just showed me how to place a pencil on, on a piece of paper and I just ran with it and I just started trying. And, and then I was winning art competitions when I was like five or six years old. And then, yeah, then it was just always such an outlet for me. And then I also had a really emotionally rough time as a kid growing up. And so art, poetry, you know, music, that was always an outlet for me to work through my emotions and get out those emotions. And unfortunately, it was always repressed because um, coming from an Asian um, family, cultural context, it's very frowned upon, you know, to pursue the arts. It's always, you know, doctor, lawyer. And so my mom did a lot of things to suppress my artistic creation. So it was always, always suppressed. Um, and I never really got to like dive into it as much as I wanted to. But I think, uh, yeah, I think now, now with Web3, I feel really excited to be able to fully immerse myself in artistic creation. Yeah, it's funny how context can kind of change our course, but somehow... And maybe it's fate, maybe it's destiny, maybe it's providence, maybe it's the universe. If we continue to follow our path, we end up where we've always wanted to be, needed to be. But your journey takes a very interesting twist and turns. You started with the art, but where's the middle section here? What was your first business that you created? I I would say the entrepreneurial bug bit me super early on when I was really young, because I think for me... I wouldn't say that there's a delineation between art and entrepreneurship. Okay, there is an uh, delineation. I can like, you know, kind of like say how it's different. But I think at the core of it, it's all about creation and like the act of creating something from nothing, using your imagination to bring something into existence that isn't currently in reality. Um, So that's at the core, you know, what is true for both art and entrepreneurship. So actually, I was very entrepreneurial as a kid, because I think the first moment Um, And I think this can be relevant for a lot of um, artists looking to get into NFTs. I was probably eight years old when I was just sitting in class and I was drawing uh, some unicorns on a piece of paper. And then a a girl uh, walks up to me and then she's like, oh, hey, I'll pay you three dollars for three unicorns. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I was 80 years old. You know, $3 is a lot. So I drew her three unicorns and she really loved it. She framed it and everything. And I got $3. And then I think, you know, looking back, I think subconsciously, maybe that kind of like, without knowing it, maybe that kind of like showed me, wow, I can create something that people love and I can make money from it. And I think that's been kind of like a, you know, guiding principle for me where innately, you know, I think that just like stuck out to me. And then without knowing it, I just started to create a lot of different things and, and seeing what stuck. So, so that I had like random projects. So I made a comic book and I was trying to sell it to people like, 
you know, in the school playground. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then I uh, found, you know, I, I had this like hobby of like pressing dried flowers and I stuck into this uh, little like piece of plastic, you know, the little cases that come with your juice box for your straws. Oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I would stick dried flowers into the little plastic um, straw cases and I would try to sell that because I was like oh this is really pretty I mean it's my creation <laughs> and then um, so I remember just like walking around trying to like sell it to people for like 50 cents so so there is all that and then I would say my most lucrative endeavor was in high school when I started to sell chocolate to <laughs> a lot of you know decaffeinated kind of uh, overworked students studying for their exams and stuff so that was probably my most lucrative and then from there um, I, I got into web design and development in high school and then so I started just like designing websites and then that kind of like you know rolled into client work so I started kind of like building designing websites for clients but I didn't know at the time you know that I couldn't be I didn't know about tech entrepreneurship and startup entrepreneurship I mean the web was so young at the time you know I was designing websites for like you know mom and pop restaurants who needed like a static web page and stuff so it was like still so early and then I was like oh well I really love you know web design and development and uh, actually something, you know, and so I went to college. I actually got into a lot of art schools along the way, like art high school and art colleges. But I was all kind of like sidetracked from that because my mom wanted me to focus more on the academic side. But then I guess in college, I kind of like found a happy medium of like, oh, web design and development. Although I was also pulled away because I wanted to double major in computer science and design. But then at the time, there was so much like sexism against women in computer science. So I had other like older male you know my RA at the time and the head of the CS department they were like oh no don't do it it's gonna be so hard you're gonna be the only girl in the class you should do English or history instead so like you know so many forces talking me out of it but yeah so I was kind of pretty much self-taught and then got a job in advertising doing uh, mobile design when mobile was first coming out. Actually, I was doing mobile design before before I even had an iPhone because I guess that was just, you know, there was just like so much demand and interest for it. And then from advertising, I just had all these ideas for how I would like the world to be. And, and a lot of, you know, just like ideas for apps and stuff. And then so I just left to start my first startup, which was at the time, it was a semantic search engine for people. So instead of like connecting with people on a very like superficial, maybe like job title level, we wanted to have semantic search for people so that you can have more of a social graph based on how people connect with each other, based on personality traits, etc., and this was back in 2010. So this was before like Facebook's social graph came out. So we tried to work on that, but then quickly found when I interviewed people that they didn't want to review their friends because we were trying to crowdsource the information. So people didn't want to like review their friends. And then so we pivoted from that to um, image search app, like image recognition application where you can take a photo and ask a question. I was just like really obsessed with semantic search and semantic segmentation and stuff but this was all in 2010 so we're trying to crowdsource the information and at the time the iphone was still really new instagram was still a baby and so people didn't really have a habit of like taking photos consistently and then when i uh, interviewed people and people were like oh i took a photo of this sunset because i was really you know it was really pretty or like th they're just like taking photos but not having 
necessarily more questions about it. And our whole thesis was, okay, people are going to take a photo and ask a question because people are really curious about their world. But then that turned out to not be the case because most people were like, oh, so I can take a photo of myself and ask if I'm hot or not. And I'm like, no, that's not what this is for. <laughs> that's not what we want to use it for. <laughs> oh, no. But it's kind of like an early sign for like, you know, why Instagram took off too. Yeah, that selfie with the filters did it really did a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Snapchat and everything. Yeah. So ultimately, we shut down because um, the, the human behavior was not the same as what we expected it to be. But then I met a lot of other people, a lot of other entrepreneurs who were making the same mistakes. They had these big ideas and they had all these assumptions of like, yeah, you know, we're going to do this and that and that. And then I'm like, wait, but what is like the core underlying assumption that you're making here that is not going to hold true? And like, have you even talked to customers yet, et cetera? And they haven't. And so that's kind of like where I saw the, the value of Lean Startup. And then teamed up with Trevor to help more entrepreneurs understand their underlying assumptions for their business models. I don't know how far you want me to go on my journey. But but yeah, I think one of the biggest insights from there, you know, I had this interesting journey because I'm first and foremost an artist who became an entrepreneur, who then also became an entrepreneur who can kind of like see and challenge like the underlying assumptions and like figure out the business models. And, and then I kind of like circled it back to artistic creation of like, okay, well, how can artists actually use these underlying principles of startup creation to create viable revenue models for their art and creativity? And so that's kind of where I am now. Wow. That's incredible. Just, just hearing the path that you took and what it took to get you there to be not only a successful artist, but you had to, you had to explore the business side of things as well, which is something that I think every artist needs to do, right? You're not going to be able to get your product, your art being your product to the market if you're not doing the business stuff as well. And I think that's a big stigma that previous generations have with art and creative work in general, right? You were talking about with your cultural background, your parents were kind of like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. You can't make money being an artist. And I've definitely felt a lot of that with my cultural background growing up. But then I became an adult. At some point I was working as a professional artist, as a professional musician. I was getting paid to play music and talking to people that have been in the industry that are like making really good money just playing guitar, you know, or just singing or or doing, doing something that I was told my whole life, you can't make money doing that. But actually you can, you just have to find the right path. You just have to create, there's, there's some, some new things you need to learn. You need to learn how to treat yourself as a business, but it is possible, right? So yeah. What do you, what do you think of that? Just that, that stigma that you had to overcome? Yeah. The stigma of, uh, with the starving artist or I guess my question is more how does an artist figure out that path like what what would you tell an artist that's like oh I want to be an artist but everyone's telling me that it's like really impossible mm-hmm. how do I mm-hmm. overcome that mm-hmm. okay yeah I think in many ways it's now more than ever easier to be an artist but also harder because it's easier to be an artist and I think it's easier in that there's no middlemen in the act of creation as much. It's, you know, you don't have to be 
in a gallery in order to sell your work. You just post it on your, you know, social media or something and or on YouTube or wherever and do the marketing yourself and you become your own, you know, curator and gallery marketer, etc. So in that way, it's so much easier. But there are things to think about. So, you know, with my entrepreneurial lens on figuring out what niche your art is in. And I think something controversial with artists would be because I with, you know, figuring out a business model, it's there's the whole, you know, oh, if you build it, they will come or you do your research or do competitive analysis and everything before you try to launch the product in the, in the market. And I would say at this point, the same would apply for art and for artists, although it can be like controversial because a lot of artists just kind of want to like create whatever. And you can create whatever as well. But I think that if you create whatever you want, you still have to think about, okay, like who is the audience? And then think about your marketing distribution within, you know, today in the social media age. And so you could still do that. Otherwise, you can also, you know, think of what is the art that you're creating? What's the niche? And, and really, like, focus in on that niche. So I, I guess those are kind of two different approaches for how artists can do what they want to do in today's social media world or, or Web3. Grace, I, I love that because you just tied in your work with helping startups, right? When they're, you know, they're trying to make all of these things, but have all of these features. And you're like, no, focus on the one thing. Where is the market? How do you solve that problem? And then you did the exact same thing for artists. You said, yeah, you can create whatever you want. And sometimes it's okay to just be creative. However, where is the market? Who wants what you have? And how do we go there? And I love that you just put those two together. That was really good, really cool. Yeah. So something to think about for any artists listening out there. That's me. I'm listening. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're here. <laughs> Teach us. So how did you find Web3 in blockchain? Yeah. Well, I was aware of um, Bitcoin really early on, I think back in 2011, 12. Did um, you invest then? <laughs> you know, because like I didn't, Mount and I'm kicking myself. <laughs> you know, it was Mount Gox days, and I I looked into it, but then it it was so convoluted. You know, I wanted to kind of like get started, but it was a bit intimidating, and so I I didn't go fully into it at the time. But I was very much surrounded by it. But then I also had a different perspective on it because it was just so much just trading, and for me, I'm all about creation. So, so I care more about the creation aspect. And so I didn't fully, I think back in 2017, 18, I was invited to do some art for some of the kind of like platforms that were launching them, but I, I didn't kind of, it was just like in my periphery, didn't fully dive into it. But I did, at the time I was actually making um, a brain art installation. So it was a generative painting that listens to your EEG signals from your brain activity. So your frequencies that are being emitted from your brain. I listened to that and I, I was creating generative art paintings that respond to your um, mentality, your, your emotions. And at the time, one idea that I was looking into was actually being able to encrypt the brain data onto the blockchain so that you can have like your, you know, your brain data stored on the blockchain. But 
again, this was still early days, 2017, 18. I, I didn't really know how to do that. So I didn't fully get into it until I think it was last, maybe it was like last year, 2021. And then I created an art series called Women's Voices, where I was sharing my research and experience as a woman in Asian culture. And I was exploring how language has affected women in Asian culture and how it suppressed women's rights. And so I created that art series. And um, yeah, that's kind of like how I got started. I was just seeing the potential of NFTs and of the, the creator economy within Web3 and just seeing so much potential for everything across all aspects, not just art and music, but also gaming and just like the future of work and live and play and DAOs. I, you know, just everything was just converging for me because these were all concepts that I had thought about before. Even the concept of DAOs where I'm like, okay, it'd be great to be able to just gather around a mission and instead of an investor investing in like a startup entity, but maybe it's kind of like a, you know, collective of people working towards a mission. So I was really interested in that. And I was also thinking about kind of like how economic models are breaking down and what we can do to kind of like redesign the economic system. And so I was thinking about all that back a couple of years ago, and it just seemed like the perfect convergence within Web3. Yeah, that'll preach. Like, and I think it's something that <laughs> both Rowie and I can attest to. It's uh, you hear about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, and it can feel intimidating, and you don't know quite where this fits and how it fits in the world, but you know it fits somewhere. And then when everything kind of gets unlocked, right? And you see NFTs and provenance and the blockchain of holding things and DAOs and how we interact in the world, and especially as you see technology just rapidly evolving in front of our hands, really. And it's funny because you say like 2011, I was like, that's not that long ago, but it actually kind of is in, in the amount of technology that's increased since then. And, it, and if you're listening to this and you want to see Grace's generative like painting with your brainwaves, we'll link a video on YouTube. It is super cool. And I want to try it. I don't know how, but I want to, if Grace is there away, how, <laughs> yeah. can, I, how can I do this? Hook me up. Oh, um, well, I've had exhibits. Um, so I was doing some exhibits around the world uh, before COVID. It's it's usually done as an exhibit. Usually, you know, a conference or something sponsors me and, and has the exhibit at their event. So I've done exhibits at different neuroscience conferences. So at MIT and Stanford. And then I've done exhibits at Shanghai Tower and Dubai, also at music festivals, where the topic of our consciousness and just it could be like a meditative experience. It could I've done it in collaboration with music artists where you can see how your brain is responding to musical frequencies. So yeah, usually it's it's at these live conference or festivals. Yeah. Man, that would be so cool. Well, speaking of like consciousness and hooking your brain up to something, so Snow Crash. That's just the best way I can intro that. <laughs> Snow Crash is a book written in 1992. It's the first literary use of the word metaverse, which now I hear feels like every day. And I know I picked up the book. I don't know when I picked it. I picked it up this year when the word metaverse was coming up and I was learning about this. And I read it and it's a trip. It's incredible science fiction talking about what does it look like to have a digital world that we all live in and interact in as well as the physical. And I know that's the inspiration behind Crash Punks, the PFP Stacks NFT collection, which you are the artist, right? Mm -hmm. 
Can you go behind, like, how did this get started? What was your, I mean, your inspiration is obviously Snow Crash, but like, is there anything else that's going on? How did you come up with this whole idea? Mm, yeah, so... Yeah, at the time, I was helping to set up the, the first Stacks Accelerator program, investing in a lot of founders who are building on Stacks. And I was like, oh, wow, Stacks really needs some art. And so I wanted to contribute some art to the ecosystem. And I, I've personally been inspired by Snow Crash. I know the team over at Stacks has also been inspired by Snow Crash. I mean, the hero wallet is literally named after hero protagonist. No um, way. And- I was thinking about that. Is that true? That's Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So it's really just like trying to bring you know, the metaverse to life and trying to bring sci-fi to life. And I'm super excited about that because, you know, as as you can tell with my brain art interface, I was just like super obsessed with like uploading our consciousness, like, being able to download our consciousness and also exhibiting ourselves as avatars. So I think Snow Crash was kind of just like perfect because it explores so many topics around philosophy and consciousness and, you know, hooking up our brains and, and then expressing ourselves as avatars and and that what that world could look like so i think it was just like right up my alley too that that's awesome was did somebody come to you and say hey i want to do this or did you go to somebody and be like hey i want to put together a giant collection yeah it was it was like oh i want to like make some art (laughs) for stacks (laughs) yeah and then it kind of like became a giant collection where yeah now we're building out the metaverse and we're like aspects of it where wait, where, wait, wait, um, wait, wait, yeah. what do you, what do you mean? Um, well, we're not, okay. So that's a big statement, but, um, I don't want to reveal too much, but, um, yeah, we're, we're just like launching some exciting things. I'm working on a uh, crash punks are going to go 3d and, um, into the metaverse. And so we're just trying to bring more of snow crash and that metaverse reality to life. Nice way to like hold things back there because I'm curious. I think everyone uses the metaverse. It's a bigger discussion I want to have later. Everyone, keep your eye on Crash Punks to see what see what they drop and see what they do. <laughs> I also know that you're a musician. Yeah, I wanted to hear about this because in the space, I have always heard you know Grace from Crash Punks and like oh great you know she made the art that's really cool and then I go and look through your origin story right like the the stuff that you've done in the past i'm like whoa way bigger than grace from crash punk she's done everything right so uh, when i found out you were a musician too i was like all right i need to hear her take on this how does music work in web3 how do you feel about music and nfts coming together what's your thought on just like music and all of this world that we live in coming together Yeah. I mean, there's so much that NFTs and Web3 can do for the music industry, all the way from, you know, just like fan ownership of of music and just being able to support their favorite creators. So we kind of see that um, in Web2. And this is just like a natural evolution where fans can, well, what musicians can do is they can create, let's say, you know, their music as an NFT and then fans who really want to support that music from the ground level can help kind of like help fundraise for it, help contribute. And then in exchange, they can get like tokens and essentially they can have like a stake or a part in that artist's kind of like rising and have a piece of the story as well. So 
that's kind of like on the musician and fan level side. So what musicians can also do is you can think of NFTs as kind of like for fans, it's like a ticket to an experience with a musician. So in traditional paradigms it could be like oh it's a ticket to a music concert but there's so much more because you can do a lot with that ticket so it's not just like a paper receipt but you can do a lot with that ticket and let's say you can stake it or like kind of like think of it as deposit it into a bank account and then you can like earn interest on it as the musician becomes more and more well known and performs and um, maybe you can get like some of their royalties as well from holding that ticket and then later you can resell that ticket to another fan and then if you hold that ticket you can unlock more experiences with that musician so those are some kind of like really cool exciting things that you can do with like musicians and fan engagement and then even at the kind of like production level behind the scenes production level like going up leading up to the launch of a a music album or a song creation there can be so much to do with regards to you know being able to like track the provenance of that song creation so we hear a lot of times you know the original artists their stems were kind of just like taken and used to make a new piece of music but then now with blockchain you can actually have you know, royalties trace back to every music artist or the producers or writers that contributed to that piece of song. See, Grace, and this is why we wanted to have you on the show, because, I mean, we're obsessed with how do we help our creatives use NFTs, use Web3 in create new ways of marketing themselves and businesses? And how do you like utilize this technology? And brainstorming like you just did. There's so many things that anybody could do. Right. That it's it's almost a little overwhelming. So we need we're gonna try some things out and figure some things out. So I mean, Grace, you're more than welcome to always come on and have a brainstorming session with us and how how do we help creatives? Oh, love that. Yeah. Uh, we can continue this as like little virtual coffee chats. <laughs> Perfect. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. I just I love the way that you think. You think on like such a higher level, but still so creatively and artistically. I'm like, we could just sit and pick your brain for for forever, but we we don't want to have like a three hour long uh, podcast episode. So we're, we're gonna have to have you back for no, sure. No, that's why we have our happy hours on the Airdrop Discord, where we can just chit chat about whatever. Well, that's true. That was a plug. All right, uh, before we wrap up here, Grace, I just want to like maybe give some people with some practical steps. Because of your background, you help startups get their product market fit, you know, helping them focus on the things they need to focus on. For an NFT artist in your experience or an artist in general, what are the, like the basic steps they need to focus on when using Web3 for their creative careers? Yeah, so as an artist, depending on where you're at, you could maybe if it's more traditional or maybe you're already on social media, I think like social media and and everything that's been happening on social media with regards to artistic creation is kind of like a natural step towards what's going on in Web3. So yeah, a lot of marketing, even though a lot of creatives don't like to do that, but you know, if you're comfortable, if, if you've been building an audience on Instagram or on YouTube or any social media platform and you're pretty familiar with marketing, then the next step is it's it's very much like fan engagement and figuring out how how to transition from that. Because what we've seen in the Web2 models is a lot of creators creating 
and marketing all of it, but then but then not able to have a su- sufficient revenue stream from that. And so what Web3 enables, I think, is a solution for that. So you can think about perhaps it's a creator token. Maybe it's a token that you can create for yourself that your fans can buy. And then, you know, when they buy it, then they can unlock different kinds of perks with you. You can think of it as Patreon, but on steroids. Yeah, so, so some steps that you can take. Well, you can look into NFT marketplaces. So if you're a visual artist, music artist, there are a couple of NFT platforms that you can look into. So within Stacks, there's Gamma, there's Byzantium, and then there's also like on Ethereum, OpenSea, and a bunch of others. There's there's so many now. And so you can figure out where... So to transition, if you're if you already have an audience on social media, you can start sharing, hey... I have, you know, remember that artwork that you really liked from me? And maybe you can scroll through your own social media accounts and see which art pieces most people like the most. And then you can mint that into an NFT and you can announce, hey, well, I created your one of your favorite art pieces as an NFT now. So so someone can buy this and collect it. You can Start it out, you can do it as a one of one, or you can have like a whole series, or you can have like, you know, one of 20. So it's not just a one of one, maybe you can have like 20 of the same prints minted. And then you can start off that way. So go through your uh, social media accounts, see, or pull your fans, see what they liked the most, which art pieces they liked the most, and then mint their favorite pieces so that um, your fans can start collecting and having a part in what you're creating. Yeah, so I would suggest starting there. I love that. This is what I heard. I heard step one, put your art out there. Step two, start to build a little community. And three is kind of allow the community to buy into your work. And I love that. One, two, three. It's just allow people to help you in this journey. And I think that's really good. Grace, this was awesome. Where can people find out more about your work and what you're doing, where, where people can find the artwork? Sure. So you can follow me um, on Twitter at UXCEO. I might change that soon because I have an artist name, so I may be changing that. But um, Ooh. <laughs> And then to follow Crash Punks, uh, which is the NFT collection uh, where we're building out this metaverse world and that's going to be at crash punks on twitter and uh yeah and then on instagram you can also find me at uxeo or you can google me grace ing pretty easy to find awesome grace thanks for coming on the show thank you so much for having me it was such a pleasure to chat with you both Thank you so much for listening to Airdrop. If you want to know more about Grace, we put all the links and stuff in the description so you can check out all of her projects and what she's doing next. Yeah. And make sure to follow Airdrop on Twitter at Airdrop Show and rate and review the podcast so uh, more people can have the opportunity to check us out and learn about NFTs. And remember, all information looks like noise until you break the code. Ooh. What's that mean? <laughs>